I mean, if you go back to the 1960s as the first sort of computers, there was a lot of anxiety about those computers taking over over the workforce. Nobody at the time thought that in 40 uh, years, most people or billions of people will walk around with the world's knowledge in their pockets. One of the most striking findings to me researching this book is how much technology has progressed over the centuries, uh, but how little the debate surrounding its effects on people's jobs and lives in general uh, has progressed over the same period of time. Uh, I mean, we've been worrying about the same issues for over 200 years. If technological progress was something natural, the Industrial Revolution would have happened a bit earlier in the history of mankind. I'm Paul Michaelman, and this is MIT Sloan Management Review's Three Big Points. Each week, we take on one topic that leaders need to be on top of right now and leave you with three key takeaways for you and your organization. We love data. We love innovation, the world changers, the mind blowers. We love ideas. Impossible ideas. Big, impossible, crazy as a loon ideas. We love falling down and getting back up and accepting our mistakes and moving on. We love it all. With love, Cloudera. It's hard to imagine New York City ever going dark, save maybe for a once or twice in a generation blackout. But go dark it did, a little more than a century ago, on an April evening in 1907, at the hands of humans who feared being displaced by technology. The specific humans in question happened to hold the job of lighting street lamps. It was the dawn of the electrical era, and the group of workers whose profession had existed 500 years went on strike. Little good that did. Electricity was a wave no band of humans could stop. And lamplighters, an entire professional class, as it were, were soon phased out for good. Today's guest says history, well, it tends to repeat itself. If you go back to the early 18th, 18th century in Britain, you see that the labor share of income was falling. Uh, Middle-income jobs were being um, hollowed out. Productivity growth was sluggish initially. Um, and that is indeed very much what we are seeing across economies in the industrial West this time uh, as back then. It has to do with technology. That's right. Productivity slowing, middle class left behind, the patterns we hear about today we've experienced in the past, which means, we hope, we can learn from them. You're hearing the voice of Oxford economist Carl Frey, author of the book The Technology Trap, Capital, Labor, and Power in the Age of Automation. And he says that while technology has advanced incredible amounts, the debates about how technology affects people really haven't changed all that much. We've been worrying about the same issues for over 200 years. And um, back in the 18th century, social uh, reformers as Peter Gaskell worried that uh, uh, mechanization would 
dehumanize people, put them sort of in the repetitive motions or the repetitive work of machines uh, and would impede on their moral and intellectual capabilities. And flash forward to the conversation today. Artificial intelligence is the general purpose technology of our time, not computers, uh, electricity or steam. But what is quite similar, um, at least to the first industrial revolution, um, are some of the economic trends. Just as we've worried about numerous waves of technologies in the past, today people are anxious about what artificial intelligence and other forms of automation will do to human jobs and human lives. Frey says we can look to the past to do better this time around. Importantly, we must not be blind to the short-term pain of technological advancement. What we should have learned is that technological progress has been enormously beneficial over the long run. Uh, People work in much better jobs today, in air-conditioned factory uh, offices instead of factories, coal mines and farms. Uh, People are much higher incomes. We have access to uh, an abundance of new goods and services. Uh, But we always live in the moment uh, in which we are. And the short-run effects of new technologies can be devastating for uh, a large part of the population. What's critical at the leadership level, Frey says is to obsess less about what technology can do, for better or for worse, and focus more on developing policy that helps mitigate short-term disruptions to humans. In his native Sweden, for instance, Frey sees less anxiety about automation stealing jobs than the tone of the conversation in the U.S. because, simply, there's more of a safety net. Institutions matter in dealing with this, and going back to the first Industrial Revolution, Uh, Some places saw less resistance to mechanization uh, than others. There was less resistance in places in particular where poor relief was more generous, uh, where the losers to mechanization were compensated. Now, this isn't to say that automation and artificial intelligence can't have devastating effects. And whatever effects they do have will be hard to predict. In fact, the breadth of technology-driven change is likely only to increase going forward as AI continues to improve and takes over more sophisticated job tasks, be that writing a short story or diagnosing a complex medical issue. If we go back to the 1960s, as the first sort of computers entered the offices, there was a lot of anxiety about those computers taking all uh, over the heart of the workforce. But... Um, nobody at the time thought that in uh, 40 uh, years, uh, most people or billions of people will walk around with the world's knowledge in their pockets. So I'm absolutely certain that uh, AI is probably going to be more transformative and that many of the sort of second and third order effects uh, that are much harder to predict in particular are going to be um, underestimated. Whatever we may fear about the potential reach of intelligent automation, Frey argues that it's a mistake to think we can control how these technologies develop. The way technology works is that it tends to solve one problem uh, and often creates another one along the way. And we're always going to be reacting to those challenges. Uh, What I don't think, though, is that governments are capable of really sort of planning uh, how the technology should be implemented um, or, you know, devising grand industrial strategies 
for the adoption of artificial intelligence because we've just been so bad at it in the past. And even, you know, government-funded projects like uh, the Internet, nobody imagined uh, at the time how it would and could be used. So if government can't contain technology or what it does to the economy and jobs, what is the role that government should play? We alluded to it earlier. They can play a huge role in helping soften the blows of short-term disruption and to help prepare people for the next technological age. I think governments have a responsibility of making sure that the transition is made reasonably smooth uh, for most people. People who lose out to technological progress uh, need some sort uh, of compensation. Otherwise, they may opt against it as they have in the past. I think they need to devise uh, social systems and that help people to adjust. And that is not just welfare. You can do things like you know, introducing relocation vouchers to help people to move to regions where the new jobs are um, emerging. Uh, we need to invest more in skills and training because that is how people have um, adapted in the past. We need to build a lot more. That's Oxford's Carl Frey, author of the book, The Technology Trap. Okay, kids, you know what time it is. Three big points about technological progress. Number one, over time, societies benefit enormously from technology. People today in the industrial West earn uh, roughly 30 times more than they did at the onset of the first industrial revolution. Today, most people have access to the electric servant in terms of washing machines, refrigerators, vacuum cleaners, and, and so on. And, and uh, rather than working in coal mines where people didn't see daylight sometimes for a week, where cave-ins and explosions were part of everyday working life, lung disease uh, sometimes part of the work package, most people today work in air-conditioned offices. So it's actually quite extraordinary how much better off people are today, in large part because of technology and automation. Number two. New technologies haven't always been equally beneficial for everyone, especially in the short term. We need to recognize that technology can also be devastating for some people and that experience replacement in the short run. And what economists regard as the short run can be a long time. During the first industrial revolution, for example, um, it took seven decades for wages to begin uh, to rise. And people who lost their jobs to automation naturally rioted against the mechanism factory and as it threatened their jobs. Uh, more recently in the United States, since the computer revolution of the 1980s and, and as robots have entered the factories, the wages of men with no more than a high school degree has fallen by 30% over the past four uh, decades. And number three, resistance is futile. Because of those short-run and adverse impacts, resistance to technology and mechanization has been the historical norm rather than the exception. If technological progress was something natural, the Industrial Revolution would have happened a bit earlier in the history of mankind. Every country would have adopted the same technologies to the same extent and would be rich as a consequence. And that hasn't happened. 
Um, and the reason for that is that governments have a very important role to play in mitigating uh, the adverse short-run impacts um, on people by creating a functioning welfare system, an educational system that helps people adjust and acquire new skills, um, and also makes it feasible for people to move uh, between locations. That's this week's Three Big Points. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever fine podcasts are streamed. If you'd like to support the show, please post a rating or a review on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Three Big Points is produced by Mary Dew. Music by Matt Reed. Marketing and audience development by Desiree Barry. Our coordinating producer is Mackenzie Wise. Until next time.